0: and said to him Blessed are you Simon Bar Jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Hallelujah. We are continuing with our series. (laughs) The one that asks the very important question we need to answer. What is your name? Who is your daddy? We're dealing with identity. It's important that we know who we are It's important that we know who our Father is, and I'm talking in the spiritual sense. So as we go through this final message in the series, I really want you to concentrate on how this applies to you specifically. So let's get into it. Uh, From this particular passage, uh, we're going to learn an awful lot about who we are and who He is and the destiny that He has for us. You know, we're a different bunch, we are, at Visible Church. We're we're Pentecostally, charismatic, full gospel, faith kind of people, right? We're different from some of the other forms of Christianity. And I think one major distinction is what we might call the spirit of revelation. See, you might gain knowledge through research and reading, But revelation, spiritual revelation, is not possible through natural, intellectual means. Information or or knowledge can come by diligence. But revelation comes when a person opens up his spirit and hungers and thirsts for the knowledge and the ways of God. Now, there are three revelations that if we get them, we can be everything that God desires us to be. That's a pretty bold statement, but I stand by it. If we get these revelations that I'm going to speak of tonight, we can be everything God desires us to be. And those three revelations are spotlighted here in the 16th chapter of Matthew. So before we actually get deeper, let's pray. Lord, I thank you. For the spirit of revelation. I thank you that your spirit is among us tonight, that you are here in our presence and that you desire to impart to us revelation. Lord, we open up our hearts and our minds and our spirits to receive from you tonight from the word and from the spirit directly. Lord, bring to us new life to the words that we are about to study and, and help us to see more than we've ever seen In these passages before. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we can see in this passage from Peter's declaration that it's not a reaction to Jesus' question based on analyzing the intellectual evidence, right? God the Father has revealed this particular fact to Peter. Now, keep in mind, everybody else is possessing the same intellectual evidence, but they're coming to a very different conclusion. But Peter, he he is flowing in God-given revelation when Jesus asks him this question. This This is the first revelation. Jesus looks at Peter and he makes a declaration about Peter. Right In in verse 16 and 17, let's look at this. This is Peter's revelation. Simon Peter answered, he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. So Peter's revelation, that first revelation, is him knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. The second revelation comes... As Jesus looks at Peter. And he says blessed are you. Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father who is in heaven. And he says this. Verse 18. And I also say to you. That you are Peter. And on this rock. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So first. Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, has a revelation from the father of who Jesus is. And then he realizes Jesus is not John the Baptist. He He is the one, you know, it's not like, well, he's not one of the prophets. He says, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said that revelation came from the Father. Now, when he got a revelation of who Jesus really was, Simon, the son of Jonah, began to get a revelation of who he really was. This is very important. I need you to understand this. When he got a revelation of who Jesus really was, he then got a revelation of who He really was, coming directly from Jesus in this particular instance. You see, Simon Barjona wasn't destined to be a fisherman all of his life. You know, some hapless career man just wandering through life like so many people do today. He was destined to be the man who would turn the world upside down as, as the chief apostle of the first century church. At this very moment, he gets a revelation that Jesus is more than just a preacher. He's more than just a prophet. He's more than just a miracle worker who would open blind eyes and deaf ears and raise the dead. Not, like that wouldn't be enough. But he is more than that. He is more. This, this moment, this, this heaven-sent revelation in, in Peter's spirit. I mean, that's to the point where he becomes bold enough to speak it out. He says let me tell you, you are the Messiah. That's what I think you are. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you who you really are. That's the second revelation. First revelation, Peter understands who Jesus is. Second revelation gets revealed to him by Jesus who he really is. Now, When Peter's identity was revealed, his destiny was also revealed. His destiny was also revealed. And that's really the point of my message tonight. If we get a true revelation of Jesus, we'll get a true revelation of who we are, our true identity. And then we'll get a revelation of our destiny. You know, the big question that a lot of Christians have is, What does God want me to do? What is my purpose? Why did he create me? We all ask that question. Well, here's how you find that answer. We need to understand that Jesus cannot take us where we're destined to be if we don't understand who we are. And if we don't understand who we are, it's because we really don't know who he is. Think about that. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 6. If we don't understand who we are, it's because we really don't understand who he is. In Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. And I want you to pay attention to the terms that he's using. I appeared to them as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. So those who came before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew him as God Almighty. God Almighty is El Shaddai. If you go back to the original language. El Shaddai. When he says, they did not know me as Lord. I was not known to them as Lord. That word Lord is Jehovah. Or literally in the Hebrew Yahweh. We translate it as Jehovah. The I am. The self-existent one. El Shaddai was the revelation that Abraham had of God. It was a revelation that sustained Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and all of that that takes place in the book of Genesis. But here we are, now we're in Exodus. It's a different time. The nation of Israel is in bondage, they have been enslaved by Egypt, and God is getting ready to deliver them. And in this passage, God is revealing to Moses, He's saying, They had an understanding of me as God. As El Shaddai, right? The Almighty One who can make something out of nothing. The God who can open up the dead womb of Sarah and restore the loins of Abraham and fulfill the promise that he made over their lives. They understood him as God, El Shaddai. He was the El Shaddai God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They got that, but they did not know him as Jehovah. They did not, and he says it right here. They did not know me by this name. They did not know him as Jehovah. They had heard the term because Abraham actually said that term when he said Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, right? When when Isaac asked him where they would get the sacrifice. But that that was a statement of faith, not a revelation, okay? It was not a revelation to them. So God gave Abraham what he needed to advance from just hearing a promise to seeing a tangible realization of that promise. But the people of Egypt, the people that were in Egypt, now known as Israel, they needed to be in touch with God. They needed to understand God in an entirely different way. In fact, in a bigger way than he was to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Here's something for you to ponder. Sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you know, a a great trial, some, some tragedy, some very difficult opposition that you're facing, sometimes God will capitalize on the opportunity that the devil provided to incubate a new revelation in you. Sometimes it's in those times of great pressure that we come to understand God in a whole new way. Israel did not have a revelation of God beyond El Shaddai at this point. But for Israel to get out of Egypt, they were going to have to know him as Jehovah. As the I am that I am God. See, basically God was saying to Moses, Abraham knew me as the God who made something out of nothing. But you've got to know me as the God who will be whatever you need me to be at any given moment. I'll be that God. See, there's a difference. I know a lot of Christians who know God as the God who made everything, right? He is the God of all creation, but they don't understand him as the God who will be everything that they need him to be when they need him to be it. If you need water turned into blood, he's going to be that God. If you need hail to rain down on your oppressors, he's going to be that God. If you need the Red Sea parted, that's the God that he is. That's God Jehovah. If you're cold, he'll be a fire for you. If you're you're hot, he'll be a shade and produce a cloud for you. If you're hungry, he'll be manna. (laughs) In him we live, we move, we have our being. That's a whole new revelation than what they had before this time. God is saying to Moses, there's nothing wrong with that understanding that you've had of me, of El Shaddai, because that was accurate, but there is more to me than that. How many of us found out that God is bigger than our original revelation of him? (laughs) I never knew what I was getting into when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. When I, when I first came to understand there is a God. Remember, I, I took the atheist path in my younger life, and then all of a sudden I just came to this revelation. There is a God. My goodness. And I found out there was more to him than my first understanding. Aren't you glad you found out that he's a Savior? Aren't you glad that you found out he's a baptizer of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes. Aren't you glad that you found out that he's the healer of your body? Jehovah Jireh, your provider? Once again, this thing we call revelation is the difference between us and other expressions of Christianity. Now, in this dispensation, it's the revelation of who Jesus is that brings an understanding of who we are And the destiny that God has for us. Once we get a true revelation of who Jesus is. He can give us a true revelation of who we are. See many of us are walking around with a false identity. Not because we're rebellious or or stubborn. But because well we've heard a lot of lies about us. And believe them. The enemy always is positioning people in, in our lives. To tell us something about us that is not in agreement with what God says about us. God has an opinion of us that is far more beautiful and a whole lot different than the opinion of those cruel kids on the schoolyard. Far different from an abusive parent or an angry ex spouse. They've always told you you're not good enough. They told you you're not smart enough. You're not creative. You're not resourceful. You're ugly. They tell you, all you'll never make anything of yourself. Your family has always been poor. Why do you think that you would ever be any kind of a success? All of these lies of the devil echo in our ears. And we've got to rise up and we've got to stand tall and we've got to say, regardless of what others have said, I am who Jesus says I am. That revelation of who we are in Christ comes only when we get a real revelation of who Jesus is. So if we don't know who Jesus is, we'll never have the faith to believe who we are and what we can do. And when you know who you are, then you'll also know what you're going to be doing. I know, it's kind of simple, but... It's the way it works. Matthew sixteen eighteen, going back there, Jesus again saying to Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, he's not calling him Simon Barjona. He's calling him Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. As he's revealing to Peter who he is, his new identity, he's giving him his destiny. If we know Jesus, we'll know who we are. Destiny cannot be detached from identity. You will not be who God called you to be if you don't understand who you are. We have so many people in the church, I believe, who are mixed up about who they are. When we're believing anything about ourselves that contradicts Scripture, we are separated from our true identity. The Bible says that we are the head and not the tail. Yeah, let's say amen. Amen. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We're not, uh, you know, if we're not believing and walking in that, in that revelation, and I really understand this as, as needing to be caught by revelation, not just head knowledge. If we're not walking in that revelation, our life is really in opposition to the Lord and His Word. The Bible says that we are the light of the world. The Bible says that we are the salt of the earth. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a chosen generation. We're, we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. Amen. Look at Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 13. Good word here. Starting in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Catch some identity here, folks. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. This passage tells me I am not a slave. I am not a slave. God calls me a son. <laughs> And it's not just a matter of semantics. You know, believing, believing that truth has implications. Let's take a look at John chapter 14. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, one of my more challenging passages of Scripture, in John 14 verse 12, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, my question to you is, do you have faith in Jesus? Do you have faith in Jesus? He says, those who believe in me... Will do the works that I do. Do you have, do you believe what he said? See, many of us believe in what he said, but we're not so sure that he was saying it to us or about us. (laughs) He was talking to the apostles, you know. He he was talking to the more spiritual ones. He wasn't saying this about us, I mean, just us, was he? Was he? See, we have got to know what God's opinion is about us. If we say we're going to fail, then, well, we're in opposition to what God says about us. In this passage, Jesus is essentially saying, we are able to bring the glory and the presence of God into any situation. Will you believe it? We are able to bring the glory and the presence of God into any situation. So I want you to think about this. What if you were walking down the street, somebody runs out, and they, and they say, Hey, come help us. We're in a, a bad situation. We need the glory and the presence of God in this thing. And if you said, Oh, well, let me call Pastor Ben. I'll see if I can get him to come. And, and, and I'll send a text to, to, to Trish and get that on the prayer, prayer chain. That's not what they need. They need the glory and the presence of God in that situation. We are to bring the glory and the presence of God into a situation. God is trying to get us to stop walking like Jacob and to start walking Like Israel. He's trying to get us to stop walking like Saul of Tarsus. And start walking like the Apostle Paul. See somewhere along the line. We have to stop living as a reaction to what the world has to say about us. And start functioning in the identity that God has assigned to us. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do and greater works. We are those, the works that he's talking about is bringing the glory and the presence of the Lord into any situation where it's needed. That's the work. That's what he, what did Jesus do? Jesus, when he, the works that he did, he walked into a situation and he brought the glory and the presence of God to that situation. What are the works that you're doing? This is the works that he says the believers will do. And, and I, you know, I'll be a little blunt here. If we aren't doing those works, it's because we don't believe in Jesus. Or at least we don't believe who Jesus really is. And if we don't believe who Jesus really is, we don't really understand who we are. Are you catching my drift here? It's important for our identity and for our destiny if we're going to walk in the destiny that God has for us, we have to understand who we are. And in order for us to understand who we are, we have to understand who He is. We have to know Him before we can know ourselves and know our destiny. But pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't understand the difficulty that I'm going through right now. (laughs) Remember, If you're in a tough spot right now, spiritually, mentally, physically, financially, God will take advantage of that place to incubate a new revelation for you. That's the best place to be for a new revelation of the the power and the grace and the presence of God in your life. See, God took advantage of the wilderness in order to incubate a new revelation in His people. They'd been in bondage. They'd been living as slaves for hundreds of years. Now you think about that. Hundreds of years. The Egyptians had ingrained a slave identity in them. They were humiliated. They were degraded as a subclass people. And God liberates this people through many miracles and he brings them into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is not intended to be a place of judgment It's intended to be a place of education. Think about this. It was only an 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land. So once they were freed from their bondage, within two weeks they could have been possessing their promised land. But that didn't happen because... It was never God's plan for them to just pass through. God had a work to do in his people. God was going to use the wilderness as a classroom setting to help them relearn their spiritual identity. Now in the wilderness, God gave his people civil law. He gave them moral law. He gave them ceremonial law. In the wilderness, they received the Ten Commandments. They received All of the the ceremonies that dealt with the shedding of blood. You know, all the sacrifices. They received the architectural designs for the the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. All of this is happening. It's his classroom. It's, It's the university of God taking place in the wilderness. Because they had to learn who God was. They had to learn more about what he wanted in their lives. And they had to understand who they were. All of that was established in the wilderness. Even understanding that concept of entering into the presence of God. God established a different identity for his people. Right? There's circumcision. There's dietary law. God wanted his people to be different and distinct from every other people in the world. God doesn't want his people to be like the world. And, I, and let me—I'll take a side note here. For those of you who are raising children, help them understand: it's okay to be different from the world. That's right. In in our society, everybody wants to be like the coolest, greatest thing there is, and do all the stuff. That, and but, bomb—they're doing this. It's okay for them. One of the things we tried to ingrain in our boys is: we're different. We don't do things that other people do all the time. We, you know, there are some things we do that other people do, but there are things that we definitely don't do, and there are reasons why we don't do them. And it's not because we're cruel and mean, it's because we are different. We're called for a different purpose. We have a different destiny. The world is just scattered doing whatever they can to try and make something out of their lives. We have a God who is directing us. We are different, and He's teaching in the wilderness The Israelites, they are a different people and they are to stay a different people. In the wilderness, God showed his people they could trust him. If you're hungry, I'll feed you. If you're cold, I'll warm you. If you're too warm, I'll I'll cool you. I'll be everything to you. That's the God they were learning. That's the God they were getting to know. God is also showing them As he shows them who he is, he's showing them who they are, helping them to establish their true identity so they can possess their destiny. Now, we know how this story goes, right? After all of this, this education, this this training, God brings them to the border of their destiny, and the spies return with a report (laughs) <laughs> in Numbers 13, 33, we'll, we'll refresh our memories again. There they saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we And so we were in their sight. Their, their true identity, all that God had taught them in this university, was spoiled by what they thought of themselves. See, they gave more credence to what they thought than what God said. The Israelites looked at them, the the giants. They looked at the opposition. They looked at all of the fortified cities. They looked at that, and they doubted their identity. And then because they stopped believing who they were, they believed the enemy could crush them. Now, God used the wilderness as his university to give them a greater understanding of who he was. Then he taught them who they were. And then he wanted them to move into the place where, where they could claim their destiny. They get to the place of their destiny, and they lost it. Why? Why? Because they lost their identity. They lost their identity. Whenever we stop believing what God has said about us personally. When we stop believing the things that God has given us. I'm talking about dreams and visions that the Holy Spirit gives us. And and we start discounting the prophetic words that may have been spoken over our life. Then we will become like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We'll believe that the mountains and the obstacles that stand before us will keep us from being all that God said that we could and should be. And we end up putting ourselves in a position to be crushed under the foot of our adversary. Instead of rising up. Instead of possessing what God said that we could have. So that brings us back to our main point. A revelation of deity... Who God is will release a revelation of identity, who we are, which will release a revelation of destiny. There isn't anything more important in our lives than possessing a revelation of what God has said about us. I keep saying that over and over again because it is very much important and true. That's what this identity series is about. We can't possess what he wants us to possess and do what he wants us to do until we embrace who he says we are. And we can't embrace what he said about us until we embrace a true revelation of who he is. I don't know about you, I'm starting to get dizzy. (laughs) You know, keep going around. I I gotta understand who God is before I can understand who I am, before I'll understand my destiny. And, and then if I, well, you get my drift. I tell you, there are many, many men and women who have not embraced the fullness of what they could have had simply because when they came to their Jordan moment, they either didn't know or didn't hold on to who God said they were, and the devil convinced them that they were defeated before they ever even entered a battle. We are who God says we are. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what others say we are. We are who God says we are. It doesn't matter what our past says we are, what what our police record might say we are. It doesn't matter what our parents said or what our banker says. It doesn't matter. It's like, Jesus, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. No, I'm I'm Simon Bar Jonah. I'm Simon, the son of Jonah. I, I'm not an intelligent guy. I, I'm just a fisherman. No, you are Peter, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Oh, oh, just just give me a fishing net and a boat. That's all I need. Tell you, Peter had a hard time getting this. When Jesus was crucified, that was a very difficult time. A very very. I don't know how you could get more difficult a life experience than what Peter experienced at the crucifixion of Jesus. And because of that disappointment and that challenge in his life, Peter returned to his old identity. He returned to it. He forgot about his destiny. He forgot about the identity that Jesus had given him. But Jesus came by in a little breakfast meeting and reinforced what his title and his position would be. See, even when we run away from our destiny, God is still calling us. Hallelujah. You are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. The first question is, Do we know who Jesus is? Do we know who Jesus is? Then, do we know who we are? If we get those two things settled, we can get on to the business of possessing our promised land. Hallelujah. And then we can get on to the business of raising strong, faith-filled, faithful children. Then we can get on to the business of of building a church that impacts our community and our region and even the world. Forty years later, the Israelites learned a lesson. They figured it out. In fact, look at Joshua chapter 2, verse 24. And they said to Joshua... Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint hearted because of us. <laughs> Notice the difference there. Before, they were faint hearted because of who they saw. Now, all of those that had been striking fear in the previous generation were now afraid of who they saw the Israelites were. It took 40 years to get them to understand who God was so they could understand who they were so they could understand their destiny and go possess it. The only thing that changed from that first generation standing on the border and the next generation that actually possessed the promised land was a revelation of who they were that came from a revelation of who God was. What will it take for us to understand who we really are? It's going to take us to understand who Jesus is. I mean, not just know from head knowledge. It's going to take a revelation like Peter had. How do you get that? Again, it's from your desire to know more of God and more of his ways. It's when we spend time in His Word, when we spend time in in prayer, when we spend time in His presence that we understand more and more of who this wonderful God is, who this wonderful Lord and Savior is. It's our lack of trust in Him that keeps us from standing in the place of identity that He has given us. So how do you get more trust? You know more. Why do I trust my wife with everything? You know, I don't even know what our finances are like most of the time. I go, I go to her once every month or so and I go, how are we doing? She goes, No, oh, we're doing good. <laughs> I don't even know. Why? Because I trust her fully with all of that. I don't have to question it. I trust her. I'm not shy about any of that stuff. If, if you came and told me You know, your wife was saying mean things about you. I'd say, you're a liar. I know my wife. And my wife knows me. And that kind of trust gives us freedom and it gives us strength in our marriage, in our relationship, in our walk in life as a married couple. Well, when you know Jesus to that extent and more, because he's so much better than my wife. Don't, you know, take that the right way. He is so much better than my wife and and he's so much better than I am for my wife. When you understand him, that trust helps you trust what he said about you. See, the problem is you, you read what he said about you, but you don't trust it. You're not believing it. I don't know. It doesn't seem like that. Get a revelation of who Jesus is and understand and receive the identity that he's given you and then go out and claim your destiny. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you <laughs> for all that you've done and all that you are doing. Lord, I thank you that you you didn't abandon us when we were pitiful, hopeless, helpless people. Lord, you redeemed us. You rescued us. You pulled us out of that pit and set our feet on solid rock. Lord, help us to see you in a way that that brings faith, in a way that brings assurance, in a way that brings understanding, in a way that brings identity that will release us to the destiny you have for us. Lord, let it be so in every life here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's worship Him. Let's get to know Him better, even in the song. Well, there at the end, he started talking about trusting God. And I don't know if he did that on purpose, but we got the new song, and it's called Trusting God. And I love how he said it in that message, God is everything that is for